The Pacey family lived in a luxury ranch-style detached home on Longcliffe Road in an affluent area of Grantham, Lincolnshire. 39-year-old Andrew Pacey was self-employed and owned a well-established and successful plumbing business. 38-year-old Julie worked part-time as a relief care worker at St Peter's Day Nursery. The rest of her time was largely spent running the busy household. The couple had two children, an 11-year-old son who was in his first year of secondary school, and a 14-year-old daughter, who I will refer to by the initial H, who attended a local girls' grammar school. The morning of Monday 26th of September 1994 was a typical start to the working week in the Pacey household. All four members of the family were out and about early. The two children left for their respective schools and Andrew went to work. He was working on a contract at a packing company just ten minutes away in Springfield Road. Julie had some errands to run before she started work. She visited Woolworths at around 8.40am to return a video rental the family had watched over the weekend. Julie started her shift at the nursery at the normal time of 10am and finished at 2pm. After this, she drove her metallic blue, in some more recent reports it is called grey, e-registered Audi 80 saloon car to her father's house in the nearby Barrabygate estate. This would only have been a few minutes drive. After a short visit, Julie left her father's house before 2.30pm. At this time, she was seen by acquaintances at shops in Grantham. She then returned home to Longcliffe Road on the Manthorpe estate. At 2.45pm, neighbours saw Julie parking her Audi in the driveway of the Pacey home. At the house, Julie took off her turquoise nursery dungarees and hung them behind her bedroom door. The 38-year-old, who was 5 foot 6 or 170 centimetres and had blonde shoulder-length hair, then changed into a brown check skirt with a black polo neck jumper, which she put on over a smaller black sweater. Julie also put on a gold-coloured necklace. Julie's whereabouts over the next hour and a half are somewhat unclear. It was first presumed that she remained in the house, but one witness, who knew Julie well, said they saw her driving towards her house at around 3.10 to 3.15pm. If this was Julie, no one knows why she was in the car or where she was returning from. At a little before 4.15pm, the Pacey's 14-year-old daughter H made her way up Longcliffe Road on the last stretch of her walk home from school. As she approached the driveway to the house, the teenager saw a man walking away from the property. H let herself in and called out for her mum, but the house remained silent. She began to move around the house from room to room. She eventually made her way upstairs to check the first floor and tried to enter the bathroom. Something prevented the door from opening. She forced it open and found her mother, Julie, 
lying face down on the floor. H tried to stir her mother, but found her unresponsive. She soon realised that her mother was not breathing, and tried to resuscitate her by attempting mouth-to-mouth. With no one else on hand to help, H phoned for an ambulance, saying that her mother appeared to have fallen and was injured. The paramedics arrived and took over CPR, assuming they were responding to a tragic accident. It was only when one of the ambulance crew rolled down the neck of Julie's jumper that they noticed the unmistakable markings of a ligature on her skin. It wasn't long after the ambulance arrived that Julie's 11-year-old son came in from school. A short time later, Andrew returned home from his day at work. Neither could comprehend what had happened. What had started as a typical mundane Monday had turned in to the worst day of their lives. Persons Unknown is a true crime podcast dedicated to unsolved murders and disappearances. The podcast is based in Wales, UK, and covers cases from Wales, the rest of the UK, and the wider world. New episodes are released every other Monday. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Persons Unknown Podcast. For a list of sources, please see the episode notes on your app. If you enjoy the podcast, please give us a review and you can help others get to hear about Persons Unknown by sharing and recommending on social media. Thank you so much for listening. Now back to this week's case. Julie Elizabeth Pacey was born on November 28th, 1955. Reading the obituaries of Julie printed in local papers in 1994 and on the anniversary of her death in the years since, it is abundantly clear that she was loved by many people. She made a profound and meaningful impact on the lives of those close to her and the wider community in Grantham. In the days after the murder, her manager at the day nursery described Julie in the Grantham Journal as a super colleague who was popular, conscientious and reliable. Her genuine love for the children she worked with was evident, and the children loved her in return. Her family were deeply shocked by what had happened, and struggled to come to terms with the reality of it. Her husband Andrew could not speak to the press for some time, as he was too distraught to go in front of journalists or TV cameras. Initial newspaper reports stated that Julie had been strangled, but that there was no evidence of sexual assault. This was soon revised, after pathologist Clive Bouch completed a post-mortem. Detective Superintendent Roger Billingsley, who headed the investigation, went on record within days of Julie's murder to say that a sexual assault had occurred, 
and it was believed the motive for the murder was sexual. The following details about the crime scene are known. Julie's tights and underwear had been pulled down to her knees, but the clothing on her upper body was undisturbed. Julie had no bruising or cuts on her body, other than the ligature mark. Her fingernails were all intact, and there was no evidence of defensive wounds. There was no sign of a break-in at the Pacey's home, so how the perpetrator entered the house was a mystery. All the windows were locked, and the back door was locked. The daughter, H, was quizzed on whether she remembered if the front door was unlocked when she arrived, or whether she needed to use her key. Due to the incredible stress and trauma, she could not remember, and could not be sure either way. It looked as though the attacker had surprised Julie, as there was no sign of a struggle. The house was impeccably tidy, with nothing appearing out of place. Julie's handbag and purse lay on the bed and had not been rifled through. A bottle of nail polish remover was found next to the handbag. The only things of note were half a cup of coffee which stood on the bedside table and an empty chocolate wrapper on the floor in the bedroom. Police believed this was Julie's post-work snack. The murder weapon was not found at the scene it is thought to have been a piece of electrical cable or flex. It was presumed that the killer had brought this with him, as nothing similar was missing from the Pacey's home. All these facts led police to believe that this was not the first crime committed by this perpetrator. It was likely that whoever killed Julie had a history of voyeurism and had committed other sexual assaults in the past. The fact that the attack happened in broad daylight and at a busy time of the afternoon, school pickup, suggested a confident and organised offender. Police also said there was no evidence that Julie knew her attacker. Lincolnshire police were quick to praise the bravery of Julie's daughter, H, in her efforts to try and save her mother. After the traumatic incident, H had to be treated for shock. Both she and her little brother had been sent to live with relatives in the village of Long Bannington, South Kesteven, in Lincolnshire, to give them space to work through what had happened. Very early on in the investigation, a description was given by police of a man they were seeking to speak with in relation to the crime. This was based on the man H witnessed walking away from the house moments before she arrived home and similar sightings of a scruffy-looking man seen in the area in the days before and after the murder. The man was described as white and in his forties. He was around 5 feet 8 or 172 centimetres tall, and according to a description in the Dundee Courier, was, quote, fat all over. He was also referred to as stocky, the man had red cheeks and a ruddy outdoor complexion. He was wearing blue overalls with a loose-fitting bib over a check shirt, believed to be red and black. On his feet he wore workman-style boots. This figure began to be referred to by the police 
and in articles about the case as Overall's man. Julie may have met this man before, in an incident that occurred at the house just three days before the murder on Friday the 23rd of September. On that afternoon, Julie had returned home from work and was pottering about upstairs. She heard someone ring the doorbell and assumed it was the young girl who lived next door. Every weekday, except Mondays, Julie would look after the girl when she got back from school until her parents arrived home from work. She shouted down for the girl to come in as the front door was unlocked. Thirty seconds later, Julie made her way downstairs to greet the girl. As she did so, she was shocked to see a man she didn't know standing in the hallway. The man said he was looking for directions to another street on the estate. Julie obviously thought this a little odd, but told him where he needed to go and then politely asked him to leave. The man did so and headed down the street on foot. Julie told this story to her daughter and described the stranger as scruffy looking. The neighbour's daughter also saw the man coming out of the Pacey's driveway as she arrived at the house. This man matched the description given earlier. It may well be that the man had gone to the house on Friday to attack Julie, but had got cold feet. This implied that Julie was specifically targeted and possibly even stalked in the run-up to her murder. Police issued a warning that there could be a man stalking women in Lincolnshire and urged people to report any incidents. In the Nottingham Post on the 6th of October 1994, it was first suggested that Julie's case could be connected to another murder that had occurred three months previously in July 1994. 21-year-old Sharon Harper disappeared on the way home from her shift at the Market Cross pub in Westgate, Grantham, in the early hours of July 2nd, 1994. Two days later, her body was found lying in an ornamental shrubbery in the car park of a construction firm in Earlsfield Lane, Grantham. This location was less than a kilometre from Sharon's flat in Sycamore Court. Sharon had been beaten and strangled. It is believed she was killed in the early hours of the morning of July 2nd. Sharon was a mother of a four-month-old daughter and had a long-term boyfriend. She worked three nights a week behind the bar at the Market Cross pub. On the night she disappeared, she had dropped her daughter at a friend's flat close to her own, as her boyfriend was also working. She was due to pick up her child after a shift at around midnight. Colleagues said that Sharon was happy at work and made plans to go out with work friends on Sunday evening. After her shift finished, Sharon stayed for a few drinks and a chat, which was part of her normal routine. She was the last person to leave the pub and set off to walk home between 12.15 and 12.20am on July 2nd. Her route home normally took her through Westgate, Harlexton Road and then on to Trent Road. 
Sharon never made it to her friend's house to pick up her baby daughter. The police were notified when she failed to meet her boyfriend for a shopping trip at 8am the next morning. Sharon was found fully clothed and police were unsure if she was killed at the scene or elsewhere. There was evidence that Sharon had had sexual intercourse the night she was killed, but police refrained from saying she had been sexually assaulted. A rogue hair was discovered at the crime scene, which has never been identified. Police also said they were trying to trace a dark-coloured car, seen early in the morning in the car park where Sharon's body was found on July 3rd. In the aftermath of the murder, police received two anonymous calls with similar information. They are not sure if the calls were made by the same person, but it is a distinct possibility. The caller said he had seen Sharon on Harlexton Road, near the Archway service station, arguing with a long-haired man, estimated to be in his thirties. The caller said he knew Sharon, and in one of the calls, the man said he stopped to ask if Sharon was alright. Sharon replied that she was okay. The caller said he had seen Sharon with the man before. The long-haired man seen with Sharon was described as wearing jeans and a white shirt. In one of the phone calls, the shirt was said to be a Leeds United football shirt. A taxi driver came forward to provide a later sighting of Sharon on the night she was killed. He said he had seen Sharon on Wharf Road between 12.40 and 12.45am. This location is near the pub where Sharon worked. Sharon was arguing with a man near a payphone. It looked like the man was pulling her away from the phone box. The man was described as having shoulder-length hair and wore jeans and a white t-shirt. If this sighting is correct, it seems Sharon travelled from Harlexton Road back towards her place of work. Police do not know why she did this. These descriptions of this unidentified man were similar to a man seen with Sharon a month before she was killed. A friend of Sharon saw her talking to a man with long hair in a passageway by Morrison's supermarket in Grantham. The witness walked past them and returned 15 minutes later to find Sharon and the man still there. Sharon walked towards the witness and the unknown man followed her. Sharon stopped to talk to the witness, but the man carried on walking. The witness asked Sharon who the man was, but she said it didn't matter and she didn't want to tell her. The witness turned to watch the man walk away, but Sharon told her not to do this. The man was said to be wearing jeans, jumper and a small canvas knapsack. The police received another anonymous call from a person who named a student as Sharon's killer. The student was looked into but wasn't in Grantham on the day in question, and it turned out the whole thing had been a hoax. Whether the murders of Julie Pacey and Sharon Harper are connected has remained a contentious issue. In the autumn of 1994, Detective Superintendent Stuart Clifton, who headed the investigation into Sharon Harper's murder, did say police were keeping an open mind regarding this question. 
In later years, there were some developments on this matter, and I'll go into these details in due course. October 7th, 1994, saw Andrew Pacey go before the media for the first time. The broken husband gave a press conference where he described the devastating impact Julie's murder was having on the family. He asked for the killer to come forward and said he believed he would after seeing the effect his actions had on Julie's loved ones. It's worth saying here that as in any murder investigation of this type, Andrew was questioned by police but he was never considered a suspect. Numerous people were able to verify that he was working all day. The police used the appeal by Andrew to release further information about the crime and share leads with which they required assistance from the public. Police were attempting to identify a mystery car seen driving along Longcliffe Road at approximately 3pm on the day of the murder. The car was said to be a metallic blue BMW believed to be a 5 Series. Shortly after that, it was seen parked in the Pacey's driveway, next to Julie's Audi. A car matching this description was also reported in Heathcliff Road, near the junction of Longcliffe Road, between 3.20 and 3.30pm. Julie's Audi was said to be seen driving past this car at this time. Most bizarrely, more than one witness saw Julie driving a car matching this description around a week before the murder. No one in the Pacey family recognised the car or could think of any reason why Julie would have been driving this vehicle. This element of the case continues to draw blanks and the significance of the BMW and who it belonged to has never been discovered. I will mention here that police obviously did extensive background checks on Julie, but found no evidence of any extramarital affairs, nor did she have any known enemies or people with whom she had any form of conflict. To help jog memories and assist their inquiries, police organised a reconstruction of the afternoon in question. 14-year-old H had to reenact her walk home from school. She retraced her route from her grammar school and passed Grantham Hospital on Manthorpe Road before turning into Longcliffe Road. The ordeal was too much for the teenager and she couldn't complete the last 30 metres to the house. She broke down inconsolable and the police officers in charge did not make her continue with the rest of the reenactment. Over 500 questionnaires were handed out in the area and door-to-door inquiries were carried out throughout the Manthorpe Road estate. Attempts were made to speak to every person living there, as police were sure that as the attack had occurred in the middle of the day and at school pick-up time, the key to unlocking the mystery was to be found within the community. The murder featured on the BBC's Crime Watch television programme. A local actor applied for the role of Overall's man and got the job within minutes of the audition as he bore such a striking resemblance to the efit the police had produced. Soon further details emerged about the unidentified, overall-clad man, many believed to be the prime suspect. 
Several people said they had seen a scruffy-looking man in the area in the days leading up to the murder. Many had been approached by him and asked for directions. He had often requested directions to Axdale Road or Meadowdale Crescent, both of which lie south of Longcliffe Road where the Paceys lived. One person who was getting into a taxi at 2.45pm one report states the time as being 3.10pm on the afternoon of the murder, saw a man wearing a blue denim boiler suit step out onto Longcliffe Road and narrowly avoid being hit by a car. The witness said the driver of the car was Julie Pacey. She waved an apology and continued driving her Audi the remaining 100 metres to her home. When the incident occurred, the man was walking down the street, away from Julie's house. The witness said after the near collision, the man changed direction and started walking, some reports say running, back in the direction of the Pacey's house. The Grantham Journal reported on the 11th of November 1994 that a man matching the description of Overall's man was arrested. The unnamed man was said to be well known to police, but he was very swiftly released without charge. This was obviously disheartening for the family and the police, but the search continued with conviction. A team of 30 detectives worked the case, and while they considered the idea that the blue overalls were worn by the man as a disguise, the most probable explanation for his attire was that the man was probably a tradesperson or manual labourer of some description. A lot of renovation and building work was being undertaken on or near the Manthorpe estate, and local residents were asked to come forward with names of individuals and companies they had employed or had seen working in the area. Police announced they were trying to trace the driver of a van that was seen parked near the Pacey's house on the same side of the street less than an hour before the murder. The van was said to be a light blue transit type. On the side of the van was written the words plumbing and fireplace with another word in between. A telephone number was printed on the van which had a Grantham area dialing code. 850 homes on the Manthorpe estate were specifically asked about this van. Police received about 30 to 40 messages following media appeals, but from what I can tell, the van driver was never traced. At the end of December 1994, Lincolnshire Police received a phone call from a public telephone situated in the Nottinghamshire, Derbyshire area about an hour's drive from Grantham. I believe the anonymous caller rang at 2pm on Friday 30th December and said he knew the killer of Julie Pacey. The police took the information very seriously. Lead investigator, Detective Superintendent Billingsley, said the caller shared pieces of information about the case which suggested this was not a hoax and the person was telling the truth. The male caller was disconnected during the conversation and never phoned back. Police urged him to make contact again to share more about what he knew about Julie's murder. The caller never did phone back 
and soon leads in the case began to dry up. Joy and Keith Wilkinson, Julie's parents, made a fresh appeal at Easter 1995, but results were negligible and no new leads materialised. As a result, police released further information concerning Overall's man, which included a timeline of various sightings over the days surrounding the murder. Three days before the murder, on Friday 23rd September 1994, a witness saw Overall's man crossing the street at the junction of Sancliffe Road and Manthorpe Road. This was at 9.45am. Later at 2pm, he was seen standing in a driveway of Ravendale Close before walking in the direction of Longcliffe Road. At 3.30pm, Julie Pacey is believed to have talked to this man in a hallway when he came into the house and asked for directions. At 8.15am on the day of the murder, the man was said to have been standing on Wasteland, close to the Pacey's house. This piece of land was made up of shrub and grassland and was popular with local dog walkers. A white transit-style van with side windows was parked nearby. The man may have been connected with it. Side windows on a van usually denote a seated cab area in the back, or possibly that the vehicle had been converted to a camper van. If you remember, on the day Julie was killed, she made a trip to Woolworths at 8.40am to return a rental video. Overall's man was sighted at the video counter at the same time as Julie. Two hours later, at 10.45am, a man matching the description was seen in a tatty beige car or van with a ladder on top of it. The vehicle stopped at the top of Longcliffe Road and asked a passerby for directions to Ravendale Close. Again, this road is just off Longcliffe Road. This is the only occasion when the man is specifically seen with a vehicle. At 2.30pm, a witness saw the man in Westgate at the junction of Guildhall Street, which lies about two and a half kilometres from Julie's home. Julie was spotted in this vicinity at the time, as it is near the Barrowby Gate estate where her father lived. Forty minutes later, he was seen near the junction of Highcliffe Road and Longcliffe Road. Shortly after, he was spotted outside number 41, Highcliffe Road, walking away from Longcliffe Road. When this timeline was published in the Grantham Journal on May 19, 1995, there was no specific mention of the man walking out in front of Julie's car, narrowly avoiding being hit, but I believe this is when the incident occurred. Then, at 3.25 to 3.30pm, the same witness who saw him at 2.30pm in Westgate saw him again walking quickly on Manthorpe Road towards Grantham Hospital. The Pacey's daughter H saw a man matching the description walking away from their house just before arriving home at 4.15pm. Between 4.20 and 4.30pm, he was seen near a footbridge at Harrowby Mill, walking and then running from the direction of Manthorpe Road. Interestingly, Overall's man was also spotted around the area during the day following the murder. 
On Tuesday, September 27th, the man was spotted early in the morning at Harrowby Mill footpath. This is two and a half kilometres from the Pacey's house. He was seen kicking the grass and it appeared as though he was looking for something. Later that day, he called at a children's clothes shop in Vine Street, Grantham, asking if he could buy old records. When staff explained that they didn't sell items like that, the man got agitated and aggressive. Seven months into the investigation, police had spoken to 3,500 people and taken 400 statements. The Detective Inspector Mick Holland of Lincolnshire Police said the key to the case was identifying Overall's man. Police did caveat this by saying the sightings reported may not all be of the same person. In response to this information being made public, the police said there were about six tips that they were actively looking into. Talk of Overall's man continued, and residents of Grantham and throughout Lincolnshire were very fearful he may strike again. At one point it was reported that the same man who killed Julie may well be responsible for an attempted break-in at a house on the Spinnery Estate, Grantham. The woman occupier was terrified and claimed a man matching the description of Overall's man had tried to break in early one morning, shortly after her husband had left for work. She said the same man had tried to break into the house back in October 1994, just weeks after Julie was killed. The woman reported this incident at the time and was convinced then that it was Overall's man. Police did look into a link but concluded the incidents at this house were not related to the murder of Julie Pacey. A year after Julie's murder, the police investigation was significantly scaled back. There were now just two detectives working on the case full-time. Detective Superintendent Roger Billingsley remained resolute that someone local to Grantham knew something and continued to urge people to come forward. Julie's family were struggling to find any hope. The children found it very difficult to talk about their mother and Andrew also had to deal with the loss of his father in early 1995. It was an extremely trying time, dealing with the loss of a spouse and parent, while also trying to keep his business going and looking after the children. Joy Wilkinson, Julie's mother, was interviewed in the Grantham Journal on the first anniversary of her daughter's death. She seemed resigned to the fact that the case was going to remain unsolved, as she felt that too much time had passed and it was now unlikely that anyone would come forward with new information. Nonetheless, the family wrote an open letter, which was printed in the local press, pleading for more people to come forward. Joyce said, if she won the lottery, she would give it all as a reward to the person that gave them the information the police needed to crack the case. To coincide with the anniversary of the murder, the police decided to reveal another detail that they had been keeping close to their chest. When Julie's body was first discovered, there was no sign of robbery or theft, and it appeared that nothing had been taken from the house. This was not the case. 
During an episode of the BBC TV programme Crime Watch, police revealed Julie's watch was missing and was believed to have been taken by the killer. It was presumed she had been wearing it when she was killed. The police had refrained from divulging this information in the past, as they hoped the watch could act as strong evidence against the suspect. It was felt that after a year, police had to risk sharing this information. The watch was not expensive, and had been bought for 99 francs, or £12, during the family's trip to Paris in the summer of 1994, only a month or so before the murder. It was a quartz watch, made by the brand Luc de Roche. There were no UK suppliers of the watch, and as a result it was deemed to be very rare, and almost certainly one of no more than a handful in the country. The public were asked if they had seen the watch or received it as a gift. Following the Crime Watch programme, some calls did come in, but nothing of note was discovered and no new leads developed. In November 1995, detectives from Lincolnshire travelled to Dorset on England's south coast to question a man over the murders of both Julie Pacey and Sharon Harper. The move came after an anonymous person telephoned Andrew Pacey, Julie's husband, and named a single suspect for both murders. The suspect was said to have lived in Grantham at the time of the murders. Following further police inquiries, the man was dismissed as a suspect. He had a strong alibi for both murders. Six months later, in the spring of 1996, Lincolnshire Police announced the investigation into Judy's murder was to be further scaled back. The same happened with the investigation into Sharon Harper's murder. Investigators were keen to point out that this step was part of the natural management process of the investigations and that both cases would remain active. During the rest of 1996, there were a few sporadic developments. The police did receive another anonymous call from a man who gave the name of a person who had already been looked into by police for Julie's murder. All the police would say was that the person named in the tip-off had not been completely eliminated as a suspect. At the end of the year, an inquest took place into Julie's death. It lasted barely five minutes. The findings were that Julie was strangled and that death could have taken as little as ten seconds. The motive for the murder was sexual and it was concluded that Julie had been killed by person or persons unknown. As I have mentioned, ever since Julie's murder, there had been the question of whether her murderer had killed before. In particular, the murder of Sharon Harper had always speculatively been linked, but the Lincolnshire police had never fully committed to this theory. In 1996, Operation Enigma was established by the Crime Committee of the Association of Chief Police Officers and coordinated by the National Crime Facility at Bramshill, a police training college in Hampshire. The task of Operation Enigma was to examine 200 unsolved murders of women over the previous decade since 1986 
and to look for possible connections between them. In other words, they were looking for possible undetected serial killers. Operation Enigma found that there were 14 cases that had the traits of serial murders. These 14 could be subdivided into four groups, with four different killers responsible. The murders of Julie Pacey and Sharon Harper were two of the cases that they believed could be connected. Lincolnshire police, however, have never officially linked the cases of Julie and Sharon. In a 2015 article in the Grantham Journal, it states that police do not believe the cases are linked, but that they have never given the reasons for this conclusion. Sarah Fowler, who was a small baby at the time of the murder, continues to campaign for justice on behalf of her mother, Sharon Harper. In the stated article, the frustration felt by Sarah and not being told why the murders of her mother and Julie are not connected is evident. Over the years, a couple of suspects have been speculated over in the media in connection with Sharon Harper's murder. They include Alan Kite, also known as the Midlands Ripper, who went to prison in 2000 for the murders of two women from Stafford. Sam O'Payul in 1993 and Tracy Turner in 1994. He is suspected of up to 10 more murders. His MO was to target women at motorway service stations and in red light districts. Christopher Halliwell is a name that sometimes comes up in Sharon's case. Halliwell is behind bars for the murders of two women, Sean O'Callaghan and Becky Godden Edwards. He also is suspected of being a serial killer and has been linked to many more murders and disappearances across the country. These men have not been linked with Judy's case, as it does not match either man's MO. They also do not fit the physical description of Overall's man. Detectives in Lincolnshire were used to dealing with around three murders a year, but in 1994 they were faced with 11, a huge spike in cases. Some of these murders were linked with that of Julie Pacey's in press reports at the time. Most notably, the murders of Wendy Speaks in March 1994 and Kathleen Hampsall in October 1994. Wendy's case has since been solved. The shoe fetish killer, Christopher Farrow, was given a life sentence for the 51-year-old's murder in November 2000. The now 63-year-old Christopher Farrow is not a suspect in Julie's murder. Kathleen Hamsell's murder is still unsolved, and from what I have read, it is quite a complicated case. It is not believed to be connected to that of Julie Pacey or Sharon Harper. The biggest breakthrough in Julie Pacey's case was announced in July 2015. Detective Inspector Helen Evans, a senior major crimes investigator at East Midlands Special Operations, said on an episode of BBC's Crime Watch that police had developed a nearly complete DNA profile of an individual extracted from forensic evidence found at the crime scene. This DNA profile had been put through the National DNA Database, but no match had been found. What this told police was that the person responsible for the sexual assault 
and murderer Julie Pacey had not been arrested for a violent or sexual crime since 1995 and had not been arrested for any crime since 2003. In 1995, DNA was only taken from prisoners found guilty of violent or sexual offences. This has since been expanded to mean that anyone arrested for all but the most minor offences can have their DNA taken. Armed with this vital clue, police appealed to the public to provide information that could lead them to potential suspects they could test against the DNA profile. The police reminded the public of the details of the case. They focused on the description of Overall's man, the mystery BMW that Judy was seen driving a week before her murder and which was witnessed on the drive of the house on the day she was killed, and the Luc de Roche watch. The episode of Crime Watch that featured this new information about the DNA profile also rebroadcast the original reconstruction of the murder, filmed back in 1994. As a result, police received 100 calls, with two people naming the same person as a suspect. The name they gave was the actor who had played Overall's man in the dramatised reconstruction. The man, called Steve Watson, had been recognised by two people in his hometown of Newark, Nottinghamshire. The confused viewers had phoned in, thinking they were helping, but they had inadvertently put the spotlight on an innocent man. Speaking in a Newark Advertiser article in 2017, Steve Watson said the ordeal was a nightmare, and he ended up having to provide a DNA sample in order to be officially cleared. He said at the time of the original reconstruction, in 1994, some of the witnesses started crying when they saw him and had to be persuaded he was an actor. Others stopped him in the street to accuse him of being the killer. He had told the BBC producers at the time not to show too much of his face. When the feature was rebroadcast in 2015, he wasn't informed it was going to air again as producers said they could not trace him. It was certainly a horrible thing to happen to an innocent man, but thankfully the DNA profile was able to exclude him and Steve Watson was able to get on with his life. Nearly three decades have now passed since Julie's life was taken from her. With so many sightings of Overall's man, it seems incredible that he was simply able to disappear and never resurface on the radar. There are so many puzzling aspects to this case, not least the BMW that Julie was seen driving a week before she died. There are a lot of potential clues in this case, but I suspect an equal number of red herrings. While Lincolnshire Police have said they don't believe the cases of Julie Pacey and Sharon Harper to be linked. There is much support for this theory from bloggers and online sleuths. Until the cases are solved, this will continue. Please do share Julie's story, as I feel the answers to her unsolved murder can still be found. I believe the DNA profile will solve this case one day, but the police need more information to utilise this trump card. If you have any information about the murder of Julie Pacey 
or Sharon Harper, you can contact the Lincolnshire Police Incident Room on 01522 532 222.